Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So we're really excited to be with you this morning, to bring the message this morning, and to kick off a new series. Hopefully you really enjoyed the journey to Easter as much as I did. It was awesome. It was great. And, uh... You know, Pastor Mitko last week, and now here we are kicking off a new series. It's six weeks long, and it's called Be Light, Teaching Through 1 John. So we're going to talk about the letter written by John called 1 John, his first letter. So it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be expository teaching, which is maybe a little different than um, a lot of other teachings. We can do topical teaching where we talk about a topic, and we look all through the Bible at the different things uh, related to that topic. This is different than that. This is looking at just this book and what does it say, what is its context, and digging a little deeper. So that's what we're going to be doing. You will find um, that this book has circles. It, It runs around in circles, in cycles, around a few key themes or ideas. So if you come back in a couple of weeks and we're talking about similar stuff, it's not because... You know, we didn't coordinate well and we're, we're being repetitive. It's because John was. And it was his strategy was to use this around and around and around a topic. Let's look at it at this angle. Let's look at it again. And now I said that, now let's say this again. And that's the way that he wrote it. So that's the way we're going to do it. And luckily, it won't just be repetitive, but you'll have different voices, different people doing the teaching from week to week. So you'll get a different perspective on those cycling topics, which will be really good. But we're just going to march through verse by verse, beginning to end starting this week. We're excited to do that. So this week we're going to introduce the book, and we're going to go through chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2. And I personally really love to do intros. I think introductions are the best thing ever. And so lucky me and lucky you today. Double dip intros. I'm going to introduce you to the book, and then the first four verses of the book are John's introduction. So two introductions. Oh man, this is awesome. It's going to be so great. So we're going to do three W's as I introduce you to the book. Who, when, and why. So who is John is the first question. Well, he's the author of this letter, and the letter 2 John, and the letter 3 John, and the Gospel of John. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that one. And at the very end of the book, or the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So he wrote all of those. Same guy. All right? Not to be confused with John the Baptist. There are many books of the Bible that talk about John the Baptist. This is not this John that wrote this letter. That's a different guy. He baptized people in the river, lost his head. (laughs) This John was the disciple of Jesus. And we're going to spend some more time talking about who he was and what he was trying to accomplish and then go through his letter. So not John the Baptist. There was, I talked to somebody between services, and that was a little confusing. I wanted to be really, really clear. All right, so this John was a fisherman. So when we first meet him, we learn that he has a brother named James, and James and John are the sons of Zebedee, and they're fishermen, and they're mending their nets on the boat with their dad, and Jesus says, come and follow me. Right? It's a familiar, familiar story. Peter was a fisherman too. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So he's a fisherman by trade a young man when he came to follow Jesus. So the next two things we learn about him as we kind of read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that he was nicknamed 
Sons of Thunder, him and James were the Sons of Thunder. That was one of their nicknames. And it could be because of asking Jesus to sit right next to him in his glory and roll with Jesus. I don't know if that's why, but these are two kind of interesting things about John. There's this time in, in the Gospels where we see like James and John, the brothers, and their mom get together and they're like, hey, we've been walking with Jesus. We've been doing ministry with him. He seems to like us. Let's ask if we can rule on his right and left hand. This is a great idea. And so they go to Jesus and they're like, can we rule with you when you come in your glory on your right and your left? Uh, it didn't work out. They didn't, he said no. But it was a great idea. So we learned that about, about him. You know, and, and um, <laughs> he was ambitious. He had a big personality, right? John was an interesting guy. Um, he also calls himself the disciple Jesus loved throughout the Gospel of John, right? So he's writing the book, and rather than say John, maybe he was worried about being confused with that John the Baptist guy, I don't know. But he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. Um, and it wasn't just hyperbole, I don't think. He was very close to Jesus. If you remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, Easter and the crucifixion, and Jesus was on the cross, and he, he, his mom and John were right there, and he was like, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Hey, you two look out for each other because I'm going away. Um, so he, there was a closeness there. He was also in the inner circle of Jesus. So there's several examples during the ministry of Jesus where we see Jesus. He had these 12 disciples that he was investing all of his time into, and they were ministering with him. But then he'd pull away with just three. A couple of examples are when he goes into a house to, to heal a child. He just brings Peter, James, and John. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he brings the 12 disciples with him, like, pray for me, pray with me all night tonight. I'm going to the cross. And then he says, hey, you three, Peter, James, and John, come just a little further with me. Um, and there are more examples of that. So John was part of this inner circle among the disciples of Jesus. Okay, what else? You can see there's a couple more blank spots on the slide. We better fill them up. Okay, so Jesus is, dies, he rises again, he appears to them, he ascends to heaven, they're praying in the upper room, the day of Pentecost comes, tongues of fire and all this amazing stuff, Peter preaches this message, thousands of people are saved, and the church like launches, the church of Christ launches in the city of Jerusalem. And then we read about Peter and John going to the temple, and they're on their way in, and there's a man begging, and he can't walk, and he's like, you know, hey, alms for the poor here. And Peter says this famous line, like, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I want to give to you. Rise up and walk. And the man is healed. And it's this amazing miracle. And John was right there with him. It was those two together. And then all the subsequent interviews from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were upset that Peter and John and this rabble of Jesus followers are, are rocking their boat. They're like, hey, stop preaching in his name. Stop doing that. And John was there for all of these interviews. And one of my favorite uh, verses in the book of Acts is in chapter 4, verse 13. These teachers of the law, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Boy, that is awesome. That was John. So one more thing about John before we go to the, the next thing. He was a pillar of the early church. And I didn't just make up that word. Paul calls him a pillar of the early church. Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, amazingly transformed, persecuting the church, and just, you know, becomes 
one of the key advocates of the church, a missionary to all the non-Jewish people, which are called Gentiles in the New Testament, and, you know, just establishes churches all over the place. Amazing guy. Well, when he was commissioned by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and sent out, John was one of the three pillars listed. He says in Galatians 2, Paul says this, James, talking about James, the brother of Jesus now, and Peter and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So here at the beginning of the launch of the Christian church, after the day of Pentecost and all that good stuff we talked about, um, James and John and Peter are kind of this head of the church in Jerusalem. And we see Paul and Barnabas and others that travel with them going out, establishing new churches while those lead in Jerusalem. And that changes over time. A lot of the key leaders of the early church were martyred, and things changed as, as it moved forward. But in the beginning, John was kind of that home base leader of everything that was going on in the church. All right, that's who, John. When, got this great little chart that talks about um, what year the different books of the Bible were written, and if you spend time studying, people will disagree. We don't know for sure exactly when, but this is a good kind of timeline for it. And if you look at this kind of left side, there's like all these letters written by Paul. So he's going and establishing these new churches all over the place. He's writing these letters to the churches that he had established. And so we've got this early on issues being discussed in those letters of Paul. There's the Jewish Christian community who were raised in the law of the Old Testament, following the ceremonial customs of the Jewish people. And then we've got all these people Paul is, is welcoming into the faith that he's evangelizing, who weren't raised Jewish. And so we find these things in his letters about like, well, what do we do now? Do we circumcise these people or not? Is that important or not? What about meat sacrifice to idols? There's idols in these other cities, and, and you know, they're making sacrifices to them. Should we partake and eat of that or not? It's the issues of the day in the community that they lived in and trying to integrate Jewish people and non-Jewish people into the Christian church community. That's what Paul is writing about. And then when we look at the book of 1 John, it's way over here by this big red arrow, somewhere around 90 or 100 AD. That's like 30 years or so after those early letters that Paul wrote. So we're going to see that it deals with different types of issues. Different things are going on in the church now. You know, maybe we've started to settle the integration of Jewish and non-Jewish, and what do we do with customs and ceremony? And now we're moving on to other topics, which is a great segue into the why. Why did John write this letter at the time that he was writing? So, three key reasons to write the letter. Refute false teachings, give the believers confidence in their faith, and describe righteous living. So, the false teachings um, that he was writing about are coming from the non-Jewish world. And there are these ideas like that, um, like Gnosticism, like, hey, there's this secret knowledge that could vault you into eternal life. It's a heresy. It is not the Christian faith, but it was in the culture that the, these churches were living in. It was floating all around them in their world and in their, you know, non—outside-the-church uh, communities, outside the four walls of the church. They're hearing these ideas and concepts, you know, influenced by the world around them. Um, you know, and things like, hey, the material world is just evil, and only the spiritual world is good. And so if there is a God, 
that God could not be part of the material creation because that would be evil and God can't be evil. So that was a heresy and a, and a false teaching floating around. And there was this other one um, that actually looked at Jesus and, and the idea was floating around that he didn't actually come in body, that he wasn't actually human, and that he was some like ghost or phantom like floating around with his 12 disciples imparting this key knowledge. And so these are the reasons that John had to write the letter and say, no, these are false teachings. This is not the truth. And so I'm going to tell you what the truth is. So that's some of the context of the letter at the time when he wrote it. To give the believer the believers confidence in their faith. He wanted to assure the church that he was overseeing, hey, you can know that you're saved, and here's how you know it. So as we read through the verses of this letter, you're going to see lots of, of that word know. This is how we know. We know that we have come to know him. Or, um, you know, blah, 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 so that we may be confident and unashamed before him. It's going to come up again and again in these cycling themes as we go through the book. And then the third reason for writing is to describe righteous living. So even today we're going to get into that contrast of light and darkness. Walk in the light. Don't walk in the darkness. What does it mean to walk in the light? He's going to go around and around that to describe what it's like to be a true Jesus follower. Awesome. All right. Intro number one complete. Let's look at John's introduction to his own letter. Verses one through four. We'll start with one and two. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So there are parallels between the beginning of 1 John and the beginning of the Gospel of John. Same author, right? And he's calling back to that other book, which was written earlier, which talked about the life and ministry of Jesus. You remember that book begins with, in the beginning was the Word, calls Jesus the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and by him all things were created. And so he's calling back to that with just a quick reference. These believers in the church, if he's their overseer, I would assume they've read his gospel, right? They're probably going to start with his, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we'll read those too, but we're going to start with the one written by our overseer. So he can, with a quick reference, remind them, Jesus was divine. He is God. He's this capital W Word. And so with just saying in the beginning and word, he's calling back to that. Jesus is God. And then there's all of this kind of like sensory or tactile language in here. We saw with our eyes. We looked upon. Our hands have handled. He was manifested. We have seen. We bear witness. Declare to you what was manifested to us. It seems repetitive, but it's like really, really building the foundation for this letter, saying, I was a disciple of Jesus. I lived and walked with him. I touched him. I heard him with my ears. So if you hear somebody saying he was just a phantom or a ghost, or you doubt that Jesus was for real, you can believe me. I saw him. I laid hands on him. You know, it makes me think of um, when Jesus um, had, was resurrected, and he appeared to some but not all, and Thomas is like, well, I won't believe it till I put my hands in the, in the wounds in his hands and feet, you know, and in his side. Well, then Jesus showed up and said, well, here you go. Go for it. Like, John was there for this stuff, right? <laughs> you know? 
I don't know, we don't have like necessarily the full sense of like everything Jesus did between that resurrection and the ascension, but did he like hug John at some point? Did he pat him on the back and say, good job, or go for it, I'm, you know, here I go, I'm going to be ascended? But there's all of this stuff that happened, and John was there for it. All right, verses 3 and 4. So it continues. We have seen and heard and declared to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So more seen and heard. Like you said, he's going to dance and dance and dance around a subject. Seen and heard. You can trust what I'm going to teach you. These false teachings floating around. Who's, who's telling you that stuff? They weren't there, but I was there. I saw it. And the fellowship that you want to have, the community that you want to belong to, is the one that is rooted in someone who can teach you because he was a disciple of Jesus. And this foundation is what he writes the letter with. And these are the things that I write to you so that your joy may be full, so that it can be complete, that your fellowship in this community, your faith, your life following Jesus can be full and complete. Good intro, John. I love it. All right, Marilee's going to pick up from there with the rest of chapter 1 and into the beginning of chapter 2. All right, thank you. Yeah, so um, we're just going to go verse by verse through here and, and dive into what what is John trying to communicate? What, is, what does the Lord want to communicate to us this morning through each verse here? So I hope you guys will do some reading along with me um, so I don't have to read by myself. <laughs> okay, so let's do um, just verse 5, and then we'll stop right before 6. All right, here we go. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. All right, so um, John is saying, hey guys, I, I was with him. I, I know um, who Jesus is. Jesus told me who God is, and I'm telling you, I'm communicating to you who God is. God is light. That is who he is. Um, there is no darkness. There is no sin. Um, there is no evil. He, God has no dark side that's going to pop out when you least expect it. He is light. And really, this is a truth that is embedded throughout all of Scripture. You know, we, we see verses again and again. Um, some of them are, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Um, Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. And then there's a prophecy concerning Jesus in Isaiah that says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And so this truth that God is light is, is one of the foundational truths that, that John is communicating. And this really points to the fact that, um, you know, God is good, that he has moral purity, um, that he is full of truth, full of revelation, um, that he's holy. And so that is what the fact that he is light what means. All right, let's do uh, verses 6 and 7 now. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right, so verse 6 is saying, you know, if we are walking in darkness, if we have a consistent pattern of walking in sin in our life, 
then we lie if we say that we have fellowship with God. But then there in verse 7, that is, if we have a consistent pattern of following Jesus' way, of walking in the light, then um, two things happen. Two things are affected. The first thing it says is that community is affected, right? We have fellowship with one another. We can have um, more of an intimate connection with community than we would be able to have otherwise if we were walking in darkness. Isn't that awesome? And then the other thing, right, is that um, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, so we are cleansed from sin. So those are two things that happen when we're, when we're walking in the light and having that consistent pattern of following the Lord. All right, and then let's read verses 8 through 10, and then we'll talk about them. Okay, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Yeah, so verse 8 starts right out with, you know, if we say, I'm not a sinner, or we somehow downplay sin, you know, sin's not a, that big of a deal, or these certain sins aren't that big of a deal, we actually are, are liars. We're lying to ourselves. I'm like, wow, that, that's really, that's a big verse. And I think, you know, in our day, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people who, who don't call sin, sin, you know, this is super common, or, or they don't think sin's a big deal. Like in our culture, right, some sins are, are wrong in, in the culture, like sexual abuse. I mean, kind of everyone agrees on that, or murder. But then there's a lot of other sins that God calls sins that are maybe the, the culture that we live in wouldn't call sin. What about like being, envy, being envious or jealous? That's kind of acceptable, right? Or um, a lot of sexual immorality is acceptable. And so, so John's just like bringing it home like, you know, if this is sin is sin, and if we say we don't have sin, we're, we're, we're lying. And um, even a bigger deal in verse 10 is if we say that we have not sinned, we're not only lying to ourselves, but we're accusing God of lying. Ooh. Because he says we all have sinned. He says sin's a big deal. He says we need a savior um, to redeem us. And so that's, that's, those are some big verses there. But then verse 9, beautiful verse. If we say we have sinned, we come to terms with that, admit that, that he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. I love that word faithful. It's like every time. He's not a moody God. Oh, I, I don't feel like it today or something. You know, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. It's beautiful. And so as I, I, was, as I was studying this, I was just impacted by how seriously God takes sin. And I was reminded of Romans 6.23 that says, the wages of sin is death. And I was thinking about how, <clears throat> you know, when we go to work during the week, we earn a wage. You know, you get a paycheck on Friday. And so it's like if you go to work all week for sin, when you get your paycheck on Friday, the paycheck is death. Here's what you've earned. Here's your wage. Here's death. And um, the rest of Romans 6.23 is um, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so it's like Jesus steps in right as we're being handed the death paycheck. And he says, I'll take that. I'll deposit that into my account instead of you, you know. And, and Oh, and instead, here, I'll give you a gift. I'll take that, and I'll give you a gift of eternal life. It's a beautiful, wonderful gospel, isn't it? All right, so let's go into chapter 2. We'll read just verse 1 and then pause. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay, so there's a lot in this verse. I love it. First, he starts out with my little children, this, this term of endearment. And it's actually the first of seven times throughout the book that he addresses the people, my little children, my dear children. So you can see there's just this genuine care and concern for the people that he's writing to. Um, you know, he wrote this later in his life. A lot of the other apostles had been martyred by this time. And so you see this, this loving concern and care as like a grandfather wanting to send this message to the people that he loved. And what he really wanted to get out to them and, and his desire for them is that they would not sin. So that's the goal. That's, that's what we're all shooting for. And that is possible. Um, but we often fall short. And so I love that the very next sentence is, and if anyone sins. So the fact that that's there doesn't negate that the goal is still not to sin. But if anyone does sin, here's what I've set up. It's pretty amazing. Well, we learned ahead in verse 9 that if we confess it, he cleanses us. Right? And then here, something else is in play. We have an advocate with the Father. Advocate means helper. It's talking about Jesus, the righteous. So if, if Bill's God and, and I'm Jesus and, and, and you sin, Jesus is like right there, ready to speak on your defense. And uh, let me tell you how amazing, let's forget, you know, he's right there um, fighting the battle in, 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 in your in your corner. Um, and so I'm just kind of overwhelmed by that. Like, not only does God forgive our sin, you know, not only does he cleanse us, not only does he make a way for us to, to uh, make a way out if we are tempted to sin, but then when we do sin, he helps us. <laughs> like, from every angle, there's help. He's thought of everything. It's just this this amazing, amazing God we serve. We have help on every side. The righteous one in heaven is helping us. All right, so verse 2. Let's, um, let's read verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Awesome. And so the, prop the propitiation... Um, means with Jesus being the propitiation means that Jesus satisfied a requirement of God. So God had this just and holy, this right requirement that sin be paid for by bloodshed, by death. And so either we die, because we've all sinned, either we die or a spotless lamb dies in our place. And Jesus stepped in to be that substitute. Um, not only us, for, but also for the whole world. So the wrath that should have been poured out on you and I was poured out on Jesus. That judgment that, that should have been 
for, on every human in the whole world was, was poured out on Jesus. So that is verse 2 there. And then verse 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commands. So verse 3 introduces this vital connection between being assured of our salvation and obedience. Which is really interesting. So um, I don't know about you guys, but there's been times in my life where um, I've been like, am I, am I really saved? Just like checking. Um, and even as a kid, you kind of like get saved every week for a while there, you know. And, um, and I've had conversations with friends struggling with wondering, oh, have I, have I lost myself? You know, there's just this, um, this question that we sometimes have, and this is one of the reasons why John wanted to write to the people, because they, they were believers that he was writing to, but they wanted to know if they could be assured of, of salvation. And so he's, he's really giving them two things that it boils down to. The first he mentioned uh, before is, is to know we're saved, is have we looked to Jesus as our perfect sacrifice, as the perfect, perfect sacrifice who's died in our place? Have we done that? And then, number two, um, do we keep his, his commands out of a place of knowing him? So do we keep his commands? And I love that um, that bit in there is, is first, because I know him, because we know him, we keep his commands. There's, a, there's an intimacy, there's a connection. It's like the natural outflow of knowing him is keeping his commands. It's not this burden or, it's a, you know, it's not like, oh, I have to. It's like you just kind of, you just want to. You know him and it's this natural outflow. Um, and then the one more thing I wanted to say about um, the, that word keep there actually means to guard. And um, so I was going to ask you guys, what types of things would you guard? Like if you were going to set up a guard to guard something, what type of thing would it be that you would want to guard? Mm-hmm. I heard valuable things. Sorry, I can't hear. Yes, family, <laughs> something that's near and dear to you. Yes, so, um, so this is how we're meant to view his commands. Like, that's real serious. 